there, Isaiah chapter number 38. Isaiah 38 in the Bibles. In your Bibles, let's stand for the reading of God's Word once you have found that. We'll be looking at the first eight verses. To begin with, we'll be looking at the whole chapter tonight. The Bible says, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. Now, let me pause, all right? Time out. Everybody look up here. Let's not read this like it's a, a history account. Hezekiah was a real man who faced a real problem. Let's read it as though Hezekiah is our close family member, and this is a real trial someone we love is going through, okay? So let's, let's try to emotionally attach to the story here. Verse 1. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death, and Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years, and I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that he hath spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which is gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backward. So the sun returned at ten degrees, by which the degrees it was gone down. The title of the Bible study tonight is this, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. We know that phrase from the New Testament. In fact, Jesus said that a number of times to people who are sick and uh, reached out to him by faith. We'll look at a couple of examples of that a little bit later in the Bible study. But why was Hezekiah given 15 more years of life? Because in his time of great sickness, he turned to the Lord. And the Lord saw his faith. The Lord granted him 15 more years of life. Let's pray. Lord, help us to understand your word tonight. Spirit of God, you guide us into all truth. Uh, because it's not a preacher that guides us into truth. It, it isn't a commentary that guides us into truth. It is the Spirit of God. Lord, where I say things that are erroneous or off, uh, God, uh, reveal that into the ears of each one of these believers. Spirit of God, where I am saying things that are true, would you uh, confirm them? And, uh, Lord, put an exclamation point on that in our hearts. As I convey, Spirit of God, my prayers that you would convict. And, Lord, show us where we... Uh, can be more like you, and we can live for you. I know these folks are here, not just because they love their church or because they love the pastor. They're here tonight because they love you and they want to please you. And so, Lord, bless them for being here. And, Lord, give us discernment as we read and study. And, Lord, as we preach for a few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the uh, way Isaiah lays out uh, these chapters about Hezekiah is interesting because... They're not laid out in a way that's in chronological order. In fact, um, chapter 38, historically, or from a timeline standpoint, took place before chapter number 37, and possibly even 
chapter number 36. In 36 and 37, we, we saw uh, how that uh, Sennacherib sent Rabshakeh from uh, Assyria. The king Sennacherib sent his general Rabshakeh there to the gate and made a big threat with 185,000 soldiers, and we saw how God delivered them. Prior to all of that even happening, there was a threat of the Assyrians coming after the city of Jerusalem to besiege it and take it. Prior to that happening, Hezekiah got sick. He got very sick, and in this sickness, he sent the prophet Isaiah to tell him he was going to die and to put his house in order. And here we have a story about how God used Isaiah's, or rather Hezekiah's faith uh, to make him whole. Now, after David and Solomon, there is more about Hezekiah in the Bible than any of the rest of the northern or southern kings. We have the story here in Isaiah. We also have an account in Chronicles, and we have an account in Second Kings. So, three different places in the Bible. The Bible talks about Hezekiah, and does so with quite a bit of material. Why? Because Hezekiah was a man of great faith. He was a man who sought to lead Israel in the right uh, direction. Now, did Hezekiah get it right all the time? No, he did not. Next week when you come back, we're going to see the greatest mistake Hezekiah made in his kingdom. Uh, We've already seen from our studies that he took part of the gold off of the temple and he gave it to the Egyptians in uh, an attempt to make an alliance and and, and get them to come and help. And uh, we see that Hezekiah's faith has not always been perfect, but when push came to shove, Hezekiah seemed to get it right. Now Hezekiah is facing personal crisis. Personal crisis. We've seen the national crisis he faced with the country under siege and, and under attack. But now we're going to see personal crisis, personal crisis. Let me give you two main thoughts here tonight uh, uh, on this thought, Thy faith hath made thee whole, and, and we'll let the Bible teach us as we go. All right, uh, 1 through 8 lays out the story we just read. 9 through 20 is the diary recording of Hezekiah from that time of his sickness and, and the personal turmoil uh, and, and personal uh, thoughts that he shared from that turmoil. All right, let's jump in. Number one, notice Hezekiah's fear of dying. Hezekiah's fear of dying. Hezekiah was afraid to die. Can I say this? God made us with a desire to live. All of us are that way. You don't believe me? Let me take you to New York City, to the top of the Empire State Building, and let me get you near the edge of one of those, you know, maintenance levels that don't have all that protection and see if you don't have bells and whistles and alarms going off in your body to back up. You ever see those towers on the top? You know, people harness and go up to the top of those things. You couldn't pay me enough money to do that. There is no way on planet Earth you say, Pastor Lejeune, are you afraid of heights? I would say, no, I have a deep respect for gravity. A deep, deep respect for gravity. Um, I'm not afraid to be up high as long as I know that I am safe or reasonably believe I am safe. Why did God put those bells and whistles and alarms that go off when you get near the edge of something? Because we all have a desire uh, to live. None of us want to die. Letter A, notice his death sentence. His death sentence. Look at verse number 1 with me again, Isaiah 38. The Bible says in those days... Was Hezekiah sick unto death? And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order. 
For thou shalt die and not live. Now, two Sunday mornings ago, we highlighted the 42nd Psalm, and I gave you my opinion that Hezekiah wrote that Psalm, and uh, that uh, and we looked in Second Kings, I believe, chapter 19 and 20, and we we saw this same story out of Second Kings that we're looking at here, and and I made similar points. I'm going to draw some different things tonight that I did from that sermon, but 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 just to reiterate the passage here, he already has. Doctors telling him, Isaiah, you have a sickness nigh unto death. What was his sickness? Well, look down at verse number 21. Verse 21. For Isaiah had said, Let them take a lump of figs and lay it for a plaster upon the boil, and he shall recover. So Isaiah is ultimately going to give him some medical advice, give the doctors medical advice about what to do. He had boils. Now, was the, were these boils leprosy? Was this maybe uh, evidences of, of a cancer? Uh, was it some other sickness? We don't know, but we know this. He was supposed to die. This was a terminal illness. A terminal illness. The doctors are already telling him, Hezekiah, it's bleak. It doesn't look good. And then here comes God's man, Isaiah. He marches right into the throne room with no bedside matter and says, Hezekiah, put your house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. And then just turns around and walks out. If there was a John Wayne in the Old Testament, it was Hezekiah, right? He just, uh, he just told, told you just like it was. Some of you remember the preachers of yesteryear. Uh, I remember uh, seeing old video clips of Billy Sunday run across the platform and they said he'd make his outline in like three or four inch letters tall, or three or four inches tall, uh, the letters were. And why were they so tall? So that when he was running by the pulpit, he could look down and see what his next point was. And he'd get in this fighting stance and, you know, he's trying to fight the devil and while he's preaching and he's both preaching and entertaining, but he could just be downright uh, blunt and and straightforward and and no tact. Aren't you glad God's given you a pastor who knows how to maybe use some tact when he has to say some hard things? And uh, with Isaiah, there was no tact. Hezekiah, my man, you're going to die. You're not going to live. Get your affairs in order. And turns around and walks out. Wow. So we see his death sentence. Now, I want to just say this to each one of you in here tonight. All of us have a day appointed to die. That day's already been determined. God knows when it is. I don't know when it is. You don't know when it is. But God knows when you're going to die. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. Sometimes people get bitter at God because a loved one died. And maybe even a loved one died at, at a young age. And we think, why did God cut their life off so short? That is God's right to do that. And, and listen, and, and I don't mean this in any kind of a cold-hearted way. If, if you have a loved one who has died at a young age, be thankful for the years that you got to enjoy with them. And don't become bitter over the experience. We focus on what we didn't, what we lost out on, instead of focusing on what we did have, what we did get to enjoy. All of us have a day appointed to die and for Hezekiah, that date had been set. Letter A, we see his death sentence. Letter B, we see his deep sorrow. Look at verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 and 
verse 2 and 3. The Bible says, Then Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. Now, why did Hezekiah turn his face toward the wall? Was he moping? Was he sulking? Was he throwing himself a pity party? I don't know that. It's possible. But can I just say this? I'm not judging. I'm not judging. If I came down with a terminal illness and, and I was told I only had days or weeks or months to live, uh, how many of you are with me that there might be a little bit of sulking that would go on? Right? All of those things, I'm going to say this again a little later in the message, but all of those things that seem to be so important to us, when you find out you only have a short time to live, those things cease to be all that important to us. What really matters when we know death is right around the corner, boy, what are those things? Who we are, the relationships that we have, right? Here he's turned toward the wall. I read one commentary that said, well, he turned toward the wall because he was facing in the direction of the temple. Nobody knows that. Okay, we don't know where his bed was positioned in the palace. All right, I'm not going to read into it. I think he was probably sulking. Look at verse number 3. The Bible says, And said, Remember now, O Lord, I beg thee, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Hezekiah wept sore. Take your Bibles over to 2 Kings chapter 18 for me. Hold your place there. In Isaiah 38, was his a declaration of being a good person, was that wrong? I don't think it was. I think it was an honest, honest assessment. If I were to be struck down, I'm speaking from my heart right here, but if I were to be struck down with a sickness and had a doctor tell me you have six weeks to live, you have late stage cancer in your body that wasn't detected and you have six weeks to live and and I was uh, going to live out my life under hospice in a hospital bed, there would be some tears, and I'd probably say something very similar to what Hezekiah said here. Lord, I'm 38 years old. I haven't been perfect, but I have with a mature heart walked before you and done my very best my whole life to live for you. Why are you taking me home? Why are you taking me away from my wife and my children who are in their developmental years? It'd be a struggle. Look at 2 Kings 18, verse 5. It is said about Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. How much did he trust the Lord? According to this verse, he trusted the Lord more than David did. He trusted the Lord more than Solomon did. No one trusted God of all the kings before or after him like he did. That's how much faith he had in God. And here he's saying, Lord, why? Why are you taking my life? Why? I've worked hard. I, I do believe that he had gone into the country and he had, well, the Bible tells us he had taken down the, the high places. What were the high places? Well, that was the lazy way to worship God. Instead of going all the way to the temple... They would find some, you know, elevated plain and they would set up an altar and they would offer a sacrifice there to the Lord. And, 
And he had said, listen, these high places have gone from a place to offer an animal to the Lord where you're worshiping false idols here. And so he tore those down and he worked to uh, renovate the temple and bring it up to uh, uh, being a, 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 a more of an important thing and reestablish the Passover. And, and he was working hard to get the people to love God again, but yet he's been sentenced to death. Letter A, his death sentence. Letter B, his deep sorrow, letter C, we see his divine sympathy. His divine sympathy. Go back to Isaiah 38, look at verse number 4. The Bible says, Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city. Well, what's going on here? Isaiah has left the throne room. He's gone down into the courtyard. He's walking out of the palace. Hezekiah has turned. And he has prayed and said, Lord, please, I beg you, don't let me die. And God says, okay, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to change my mind. You ever thought to yourself, well, they had terminal cancer. Why even pray for them? Well, well, they, they have some, you know, disease that's going to take their life. God's already determined it. Does, does prayer work? Clearly it works. Hezekiah prayed and God said, okay, I'm going to change my mind on this. Hezekiah, I had a date on the calendar where you were going to die, your appointed day, and I'm going to give you a gift of 15 more years of life. What if you knew you had 15 more years to live and God was going to take you home to heaven? You had 15 years. What would you do with those 15 years? Divine sympathy. Take your Bibles over to John chapter number 16. John 16. God looked down on this man who was praying and calling out to him and in a time of, of heartbreak, a man who did not want to lose his life. And God said, I see your struggle, and I'm going to give you life. By the way, to just give you some historical perspective, the next king that would reign would be his son, Manasseh. Manasseh had not yet been born in this passage. We know this from just looking at the timeline of the verses. Manasseh would be born two years after this happened. Had he died, there would have not been a son to continue on the lineage of David. He called out in prayer, and as a result, the throne of David could continue to be established in the kingdom of Judah. Now, Manasseh was a terrible king. He reigned for over 50 years. and In fact, Manasseh may have been the most wicked king of the northern or southern tribe, including Ahab and Jezebel combined. He was a wicked king. Wicked man. Worshipped the god Molech and sacrificed babies at a record pace uh, into the hands of, of the god of Molech. And, uh, but God would punish uh, Manasseh later, uh, late at, toward the end of his life, and he would repent and get his heart right. And, 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 and then Manasseh would have a child. And just a couple of generations later, you would again have a righteous king on the throne that would bring Israel 
back to God. But just so you understand from a historical standpoint, uh, the Israelites were fearful because their king, who was a descendant of David, did not have an heir to put on the throne. Look at John 16, and look at verse 23. Back to this idea of prayer. And in that day ye shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father of my name, he will give it you. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. Now, Christians, are these? did Jesus say this or not? Is this in the Bible or not? Here Jesus says, if you'll ask anything in my name, I'll give it to you. Anything. You say, well, well pastor, does anything mean anything? I don't know what else it means. Anything. We call that a compound word. Amen? Any means what? It means all. It means everything you can imagine. Now, it needs to be in His name. It needs to be within His will. Turn over to Mark chapter 5. The key here is that we pray by faith. When we pray by faith, God steps up and He does what to us is impossible. Now, I, um, I enjoy talking about this because um, uh, I'll have people say, well, how does this happen and how does that anomaly happen? Look, we serve a God who created science. He can manipulate science any way He wants. Um, he can do it while yawning. He can do it while sleeping. Uh, he spoke the worlds into existence. He spoke the world. Stop thinking about that for a minute. We have been studying planet Earth for thousands of years, and there are complexities of it that we still haven't figured out, and God spoke it into existence. All of it. Listen, when, when, we, when we need a miracle, it is not a stretch for God to give you that miracle. He made all this. It's easy for Him. Look at Mark chapter 5. Now, here in this story, Jesus is on His way to Jairus' house. His daughter, Jairus' daughter is sick. And there's a woman who has an issue of blood. And you know the story. She pushes through the crowd. She has a disease. She pushes through the crowd. And she touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus stopped and he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, what do you mean who touched you? Right? The crowd is pressing you. They're bumping up against you. Why would you say that? And he says, no, virtue left me. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 34. And he said unto her, this is the woman that touched him, daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. What made, uh, Mark, turn over to Mark chapter 10. While you're turning there, what made this woman whole? It was her faith. She reached out by faith and touched the hem of his garment and God healed her of her illness. Look at Mark chapter 10 and here we find the story of Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is sitting there begging uh, and he hears a crowd coming and he knows that it's Jesus, the son of David, and he calls out and everyone says, shh, be quiet, Bartimaeus, you're making a scene. And he doesn't obey them. He calls out even louder and Jesus comes to a stop and he turns to Bartimaeus. Look at Mark 10, 52. And Jesus saith unto him, go thy way, look here, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Again, John 16 says, whatsoever ye shall ask, the Father in my name, He will give it you. Here, Bartimaeus is asking in the Father's name, Jesus, thou Son of David, have mercy on me. And God healed him. 
I, I believe this, that God looks down on His broken humanity, broken creation. He sees a group of people that are doing their best to love Him in their brokenness. When we call out to Him by faith, there are times where He chooses to reach down and heal us, but it does require our faith. We see His death sentence, His deep sorrow, His divine sympathy, letter D, notice, His dynamic sign. Dynamic sign. Go back to verse 7 and 8. I love, love, love. Talking about God, uh, the God of the impossible can do anything He wants. Look at Isaiah 38, verse 7. This is amazing. And this shall be a sign unto thee from the Lord, that the Lord will do this thing that He hath spoken. Behold, I will bring again the shadow of the degrees, which has gone down in the sundial of Ahaz, ten degrees backwards. So the sun returned ten degrees by which degree it was gone down. Wow! What happened here? The sun reversed course. Now, we have watches that tell us the time. They didn't have watches back then. They had sundials. We all know how a sundial works. On a clear day, the sun shines down at an angle and then it hits uh, these rocks that cast a shadow and then based on the shadow... You can tell the time. Now, I did a lot of reading on this so I could get the historical context. And the same word translated degrees in Isaiah 38, uh, in other places in the uh, Hebrew Bible or, or in the English Bible, that same word is translated steps. So the theory is, and again, this is just a theory. We don't know exactly how this sundial worked. But the theory that many, many people hold to is that this sundial built by Ahaz involved a circular set of steps that came around, and as the sun came down, it shone down on the steps, and as it got later in the day, the shadow would cover more and more steps, and the more steps that were covered, uh, the more time uh, had, had passed. And so the belief is, by many people, and again, I'm not saying this is what I believe, I'm just sharing this is the common theory, is that... Ten steps had been covered in the lateness of the day, and God moved the sun in the sky so that ten steps became revealed. He moved the clock backwards. Now, this brings us to one of two very interesting possibilities. The first possibility is that God actually reversed time 15 to 20 minutes. That would be amazing, especially if time works the way we think it does, right? You have this ball called planet Earth, spinning in a circle, right? One revolution equals one day, and then it's at the same time revolving around the sun, and 365, uh, uh, it takes 365 days to get all the way around. So that means that the earth, which is spinning at a high speed, stopped and moved backwards and then started spinning at a fast speed without everything flying off. You say, well, that's impossible. Again, we serve the God of the impossible, Right? Have you ever even looked at how a baby, understood how a baby is formed in the womb of its mother? That should be impossible, right? We serve a God of the impossible. You say, is that what happened? Look, God, uh, if you go back to Joshua, God stopped the sun in the sky for a whole 24-hour period. You know what that means? That means He brought planet Earth to a stop for 24 hours so that the sun would stay in the same place. So this would not be the first time that God took a, an earth spinning at an astronomical speed, brought it to a stop, but this time he brought it to a stop and then moved it backwards. Wow! The other possibility, and we can't deny this, 
is that God created an illusion of the sun moving backwards 15 minutes. That's also possible. We don't know. But we know this. God gave Hezekiah a tremendous sign that um, he would be made whole. And not only that he would be made whole, but that the Assyrians would not overtake them. What a dynamic sign. Now, in my study of this, I have come to an interesting question. Take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 12. We, um, I'm not going to try to rush through to the end. I, I think I'm going to save point two for next week and, and uh, maybe even wrap up a couple minutes early. We'll see how that goes. But I, I came to this question. Is it a sin to ask God for a sign? Is it a sin to ask God for a sign? I heard a story about a college boy, Bible college student, who went to Tennessee Temple back in like the 70s and 80s. He was dating a girl, and everyone told him, she is not good for you, break it off. But he was head over heels in love with this girl, and love is blind, you know, and everyone else could see it but him. And so um, it was forecasted to rain that night, and so he said he had a towel, and he took that towel, and he laid it out in the middle of the parking lot, and he said, God, if you want me to date this girl, it was, it was like winter break, so there weren't a lot of cars. He said, God, if you want me to date this girl, allow this to be wet in the morning. All right? Well, one car pulled into that parking lot before it started raining and parked right over the top of this towel. And it poured rain, and then the car pulled away in the morning, and the only dry spot on the parking lot was that towel. You would think that's a sign you need to break up with this girl, right? Everybody in your life is telling you to drop her. And you gave God a sign that was, you know, difficult, and, and he still came through. He kept dating her. I think I heard they even got married. So um, some people just don't care. Is it a sin to ask God for a sign? Well, look at Matthew chapter 12 and look at verse 38. As soon as I get my page turned here, I'll read it for you. 38 and 39. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master... We would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall, be no, uh, shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. So according to this, it is a wicked and perverse generation that seeketh after a sign. But God gave Hezekiah a sign. Go over to Judges chapter 6. I mentioned the fleece this gentleman put out. Well, let's look at another fleece. Let's look at Gideon's fleece. Is it a sin to ask God for a sign? Lord, I, and look, this is big, and I'm not picking on this crowd, okay? But this is big, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal uh, realm. Give me a sign. I, would like, I, I want a sign. And, and, and I prayed, and, 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 and God did this. And they'll base a, a big decision based on some hypothetical that just so happened to come around, and they'll say, well, God gave me a sign. God gave me a sign. Well, Jesus told the Pharisees, it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeketh after a sign, but yet he gave Hezekiah one. Now, look at um, Judges 6 and look at verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a, a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only... And it be dry upon all the earth beside, uh, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early in the morning, 
and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will seek but this once. Let me prove, I pray thee, but this once with the fleece. Let it now be dry only upon the fleece, and upon all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was dew on all the ground. So Gideon didn't just seek for one sign. God came through on the first one, and he said, Hey, I like it twice. Did, did God punish Gideon for a weak faith that sought two signs? No, he didn't. Are you confused? Is it a sin to ask God for a sign? Here's what I'm going to tell you. It comes down to one word. Motive. What is your motive? You see, when the Pharisees asked Jesus for a sign, they were looking for miracles because they wanted to be fed and, and they wanted some kind of magic show. If you're in getting a sign for the sensational magic show, your motives are very impure. You're praying for a sign because you have weak faith and you want to serve God and you need Him to help build your faith. Uh, then, my friend, I don't think it is at all a sin to ask God to help you and show you. But I would say this. Be very, very, very careful about asking God for a sign. It is a dangerous thing to live your Christian life that way. Asking God for a sign is a result of a weak faith. A weak faith. Uh, be a man or woman who grows in your faith to a place where you don't need God to do extra things to show you the next step forward. The next step forward. There have been times in my life, to just be very practical as we wrap it up, there have been times in my life where I've needed to make a big move, where I've needed to make a big purchase, and I've not been real sure about what that uh, next move should be or that next purchase should be. And I've asked God, if this is not your will, close the door. Close the door. And you know what I was in essence praying? I was asking God to give me a sign, right? Uh, when I was candidating, uh, right before I candidated here to be pastor, there was a church in uh, Stanton Island that reached out to us and got our resume. And Boy, the deacon board was all excited about it. And, and uh, one Sunday uh, we went there and, and I preached on a Sunday morning. And I remember thinking, this could be it. This could be the church where I go pastor. And, and um, uh, uh, just a great opportunity. And, and they had a parsonage for us to move into. And, and all these things were checking out. And I got there and I had prayed going into it, Lord, if this is not where you'd have me to pastor... Make that very clear the Sunday morning that we're there. And boy, did he make it clear. I had a meeting with the men after church, and one of them raised their hand and said, Pastor Lejeune, what do you think about Calvinism? And I looked at him and I said, well, hyper-Calvinism, and, and again, I, there are lower levels where I wouldn't quite classify it the same way, but hyper-Calvinism, I said, is a doctrine of devils. Oh, man, you would have thought I kicked them all in the mouth. They were not happy with me over that, and... There was a deacon there who wanted to just control me and control the pastor and control everything. And, and God made it very clear that wasn't where we were supposed to go. There have been times where I've wanted to buy a car or I've wanted to uh, make some other big purchase. And I've gone there to do it and God made it very clear I'm closing the door on this. Look, don't push through doors that God is closing. God's closing a door. Remain in the hallway until He opens the next door and trust Him. And trust Him. The question comes down to this. What is your motive? Let's finish up the Bible study tonight with just this thought. When you go through life's hardest trials, 
Do you rely on your own strength and your own intellect and your own logic or do you trust the Lord? What is your, what is your knee-jerk response? I really want you to think about what I'm saying right here. Hezekiah is told, you're going to die. And the very first thing he does is roll over and he prays. When life hits you hard, with whatever bad news it is, do you cuss? Do you moan? Do you complain? Do you get a loved one on the phone? Uh, Do you go into some kind of binge eating or binge TV watching or some sort of coping mechanism? Or do you get on your knees and pray? Because when we pray, we call God down and He helps us through our faith. He carries us through our difficulties. Whatever that struggle is, let's make sure that we turn to prayer because that is how we express faith. And God makes us whole through faith. Faith is the medium God uses to make us whole. Let's stand together. We're going to pray and go forth and serve the Lord. I hope the Bible study was an encouragement to you tonight. Take what you've heard tonight and go forth and put it into practice. Amen?